Michigan's Children proudly presents Speaking for Kids, the podcast where we explore crucial conversations impacting the lives of all Michigan children, youth, and families, especially the most vulnerable. Join us each month as we explore public policies and issues in the best interest of our kids and families. We'll bring you lawmakers and policymakers, advocates fighting for change, and the people most affected by those decisions. With our host, Matt Gillard, President and CEO of Michigan's Children, we'll invite you to become engaged too and show you how to take action on what matters most to you. Episodes are recorded live and shared virtually on YouTube and the audio hosting sites, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Welcome back to Speaking for Kids, the podcast for Michigan's Children. I'm Matt Gillard, your host and the President and CEO of Michigan's Children. We're recording this episode on May 26, 2022. For today's podcast, I'm happy to welcome our special guest, Tim Bardick, an economist and a really great authority on the economic importance of investing in childcare and pre-K in Michigan. Tim is a senior economist for the W.E. Upjohn Institute in Kalamazoo, and he literally wrote the book on investing in kids, titled, in fact, Investing in Kids. The work examines how early childhood programs can promote local economic development. And his most recent article, Why Business Should Care About Child Care, is a must-read to better understand the crisis we're facing in the child care field, both for the families whose work lives are being disrupted by the lack of access and high cost of quality child care, and for the providers scrapping by, or scraping by on staggeringly low wages, and for the businesses and local economies affected by labor disruptions when parents can't go to work because they can't find affordable child care. And this month, Tim testified before the U.S. House Select Committee on Economic Disparity and Fairness and Growth, identifying strategies that his research found to bring job opportunities to people in distressed places through place-based initiatives. Today, I'd like to talk to Tim about the opportunities our state leaders have right now to make significant investments in child care and early childhood issues, early childhood programs, if they choose wisely. What should our state decision makers do to act? And how can we better advocate for the changes that we need? Time is right for this conversation, so thanks, Tim, for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. So first, uh, you know, to kind of jump right into this, um, the debate happening in Mich- in Lansing right now with our state leaders is around what to do with a $5 billion surplus that our state uh, government is looking at. Uh, you know, that, that number, even every time I say it, it's still mind-boggling to me. <laughs> I, I served in the legislature at a time when we had uh, – multi-billion dollar shortfalls, not surpluses. Um, but there seems to be a big um, rush, which is understandable and not surprising from the political context, to cut taxes and to use this money to cut taxes and and instead of looking at investments in programs that uh, could really better serve children and families. Kind of from a big picture economist standpoint, talk about that a little bit and, and maybe what, uh, from an economic standpoint, what makes more sense? Well, I guess I would say, first of all, that the state needs to do some long-term thinking, not this short-term. So we have this huge uh, surplus right now, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to have huge surpluses going forward. I mean, Michigan's tax and uh, revenue and uh, spending system uh, over the long-term revenue tends to grow slower than the state uh, personal income in the state economy, and there are various spending pressures, for example, from Medicaid. Uh, so I do think people need to be cautious about trying to assume that we're going to be running $5 billion surpluses for the next 10 years. 
that's not the situation. Uh, and so it does seem to me certainly foolish to simply give away the money on permanent tax cuts. Uh, and, the, and the other thing of tax cuts versus spending, I would really focus on things we could characterize on the spending side as investments, particularly things that the dollars would have to be more upfront and less over the long term. Not that we can't do some stuff long term, but if we can focus on things that are short term investments. So I think one of the challenges I think that people in early childhood need to think about is what are some things we can do now? to position the childcare and preschool sector to be better able to provide services long-term that might be considerable costs now, but have lesser budget impact down the road because this, this budget surplus is not permanent. And I think policymakers need to take account of that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, and there has been, you know, we've been trying at Michigan's Children to lead some discussions along these lines, particularly when you look at child care. I mean, we have a huge infrastructure problem around child care here in Michigan. I don't think it's unique to Michigan, but, uh, you know, these, this is one of the types of things that we could be looking at investments in now uh, to provide um, child care providers the opportunity to, to create better spaces and, and workplaces. So let's dig into childcare a little bit more. I noticed in your in one of your recent articles, your, your discussion about kind of how the childcare pre-K sector has both acute and longstanding crises and how these have damaged really the U.S. labor market. Can you uh, kind of provide a synopsis of that for sure. us? Sure. So the acute thing is really due to COVID and, and what COVID's done to the economy and society. So you, you just look at it, the childcare sector is still, depending on how you, how you measure it, 10 or 15% below in employment what it would have been without the pandemic. It's, it's still way down. And that's related to the disruptions caused by COVID. Um, and, and, you know, this is causing major problems for uh, both individual workers and for businesses because, you know, we're still having, you know, uh, parents who have to miss work or have to quit work or, or can't go to work because a child care center gets closed because of, of issues. So that's that's the acute problem. But, you know, presumably, although we, you know, who knows what's going to happen with COVID? I mean, you know, I thought it'd be over by now. A lot of people I thought it'd be over by now. And, and so obviously there may be continuing problems, you know, with mutations of the virus and whatnot. But but the, the longer term crisis in childcare and preschool is the collision between the fact that these costs are very high for parents. I mean, uh, you know, on the order of $10,000 a year, I mean, it obviously varies Detroit versus some rural area, whatever. But, um, you know, the costs are high of childcare and preschool, and yet the wages are very low. So in Michigan, the average wages for uh, child care workers are uh, like $12 an hour for preschool teachers, are like $15 an hour wages. And so, you know, that creates major problems for maintaining quality. I mean, at those kind of wages, it's very hard to attract and retain quality workers. Obviously, you can some. There are people who, who just, you know, that, that's what they want to do. They want to be a preschool teacher. They want to take care of young kids. That's their passion. They're, they want to do it. But to operate this whole sector at scale, the child care and preschool sector at scale, you need to go beyond that and, and actually pay a wage that people can afford to make this a career. And, you know, $12, $15 an hour does not do it. And the re yet the costs are very high for parents. Um, and, the, you know, the reason for that is simply this is a very labor intensive sector. And to have even minimum levels of quality, you need to have 
uh, you know, relatively low ratios of students to teachers or high ratios of staff to children, however you want to put it. And that makes it a very expensive sector. And so um, the only way out of that dilemma is that you need to provide some kind of broad subsidy for the sector to bring the cost down and the quality up. And you need to work on both. I mean, no one is advocating that we try to expand childcare and preschool in a low quality way. We want, we want high quality programs. That's where the evidence is these programs have the really the best long-term impact. But in order to do that, we need to uh, make the case for subsidies in this area. And I think the key issue there that I've made, you know, over and over again, different things I've said is that it not only benefits the children in terms of their long-term future and the parents in terms of helping them get to work and helping increase their long-term productivity. I mean, it not only helps parents short-term, but it enables them to go back to school, get work experience, increases their long-term earnings. It also helps the broader society. I mean, so the relevant issue politically is always, why should I pay money to help other people's children have better childcare, better and more affordable childcare in preschool? Why should I as a taxpayer or I as a business pay for that? And I think the reason is, is there are broad business and economic benefits to high quality childcare and preschool that's affordable. So it is not simply a private individual matter. It is a social good. It's a collective good that we need as a society to figure out how to invest in. Yeah, and I think that collective good on the quality argument particularly is really where we're at right now in Michigan. So we've seen the business community, I think for the most part, get on board, right? And, and understand. I think a lot of that was driven by a, a self-serving interest in that they weren't able to attract and retain workers because they recognized the, the challenges that child care of child care or availability of child care for potential employees of theirs. Uh, where I think then we ran into a little bit hurdle is, of a hurdle is understanding the quality aspect, right? And, and what I pitched in the, in the beginning of these conversations a lot is that, you know, unless it's a high quality childcare setting, you're not going to attract the employees back, right? Parents aren't going to go back to work if, they're, if they know they're sending their kid to a low quality, not safe childcare environment. But I think you make even the broader point that not only is, is maybe that's true and that if we really want to solve the workforce issue or the, the employee issue for a lot of these businesses, but the broader collective good of high quality on the economy and society in general is where I hope we're able to get even more buy-in from the business community. Well, right. So for the business standpoint, why is this collective good? Because if you have, uh, you know, parents who can, who can go to work, uh, of course, you attract more employees, you have uh, lower worker turnover, lower worker quits, you have less absenteeism, you have more productive uh, parents while they're working. So there's a short-term benefit for business. That's important to emphasize because, you know, after all, U.S. society for better or worse, is very short-term oriented. Uh, and uh, I think it's mostly for worse. We need to have a more long-term orientation. But then on the long-term, of course, children, we, we have a lot of research that high-quality childcare in preschool significantly increases uh, uh, not just uh, long-run educational attainment and, and things like test scores, but also whether people graduate high school, uh, whether they go to college, whether they get a job or 
uh, and you know whether, whether they get involved in crime or not. It, all these things are affected by these programs. So the long-term productivity of the U.S. economy depends on that. And one of the key points is there are huge spillovers from that. I mean, one thing that I think is overlooked in how people think about the economy is my productivity depends in part on the productivity of my coworkers. So even I, if I don't have kids, I, I you know, I, I don't want to have kids. I don't, you know, whatever, you know, for, you know, which is personal choice. Why do I care about whether or not other people are investing in their kids? Well, part of it is, or, or maybe I can afford to send my kid to a great private preschool. So why do I care whether other people can send their kids to preschool? Um, well, because whether if I'm a manufacturer or any kind of business trying to introduce new technology into the workplace, whether I can do that depends on whether all the workers at the workplace can use the new technology. And, you know, producing stuff, that's what a firm is, a business is. It's a team production effort. Everyone's involved in producing the good and, 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 and different workers' skills complement each other. And so everyone in the economy has a stake in everyone in the economy being productive. That's been the traditional rationale for K-12 education. That, that's why we have a public system and not simply let, you know, let people do whatever, whatever without any kind of public intervention. And the same rationale holds earlier on that we're, we're essentially extending the logic because you better understand child development to earlier ages from, from what we once did when we set up the K-12 system, you know, going back to the 19th century history of the U.S. Yeah, we made a similar argument when we when we argued successfully for the pre-K expansion in Michigan, uh, even on a more short-term basis, where we, we surveyed kindergarten teachers who readily recognized and, and stated that they teach to the lowest common denominator, right? And so uh, if you have a child that has access to a great pre-K program, but they're going into a kindergarten program with children who don't, it's holding back their ability and their opportunities right. for educational attainment as well. And so it's kind of this collective argument that we need to be providing those opportunities for everybody. Right. It's a collective good. And as I said, the evidence is very persuasive that high quality programs do produce these results that not only occur at kindergarten entrance, but also later on in educational attainment and 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 in and, and, um, uh, other uh, and, and and other life outcomes, higher earnings as adults. I mean, the kids have higher earnings as adults; they can contribute more to the tax system, less likely to be on welfare, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, in the short term, in addition to that, the parents uh, are more likely to work. And I think one thing to emphasize is that. There really is very concrete evidence of this that, uh, you know, for example, um, Washington, D.C. has universal preschool for three and four year olds. And that program for um, for moms with kids under age five has been shown compared to comparison cities that otherwise were similar in their pre-trends to increase labor force participation rates of uh, single mothers with kids under age five by about 10 percentage points, which is remarkable. We think this is a program, a pre-K program only operates for two years, age three and four, and only for like 180 days a year. And that program raises labor force participation rates by 10 percentage points. So the implication is, is that if you provided child care, if you provided preschool and child care, not for 180 days, but for the full year, and not just for age three and four, but for two and one, it would have even larger effects on 
whether parents can participate in the labor force. And of course, that affects the parents' long-run earnings. I mean, what, what enables you to increase your earnings? Well, education does, but work experience pays off too. That, that's how the economy works. You get work experience and then you can move up in your wage over time as you acquire skills. Yeah, and that, and that labor force participation is a big issue right here in Michigan right now, correct? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, all over the country right now, we have very low unemployment. Uh, now, we still have groups out there that are unemployed or underemployed uh, who may have barriers to employment, you know, in particular neighborhoods, particular racial and ethnic groups, particular uh, sect, you know, sections of the state. But what we're trying to do is to reach out and enable all those, all those folks to get it. Right now, businesses need workers, but we need to enable those workers to actually go to the job consistently. I mean, businesses don't want workers who are going to be missing, um, not showing up for work 10% of the time because, uh, you know, the childcare arrangement they had with their aunt or whatever or, or grandmother fell apart because the ant got COVID or whatever, you know, you want something where you can have a stable, uh, the employee can re reliably attend on time. Yeah, absolutely. And we know, I mean, from working with the business folks that we're working with on a lot of these issues, I mean, that's, like I said, I mean, that was their, their enlightened self-interest, maybe in engaging around childcare initially, but I think we're, uh, we're starting to get to this building, this this broader case of of what the collective interest of all of us is is investing in this program and the system. Right, and I think we were. We, I think we're right that we for a long time there's been okay. So I I participated over the years in a number of business summits on the case for preschool and and uh, uh, you know sometimes they're well attended, sometimes not so well attended, sometimes. Uh, so much you get a sense that the, in the past, I think there's been, uh, you know, sporadic business interest in this, but I think it's become much more serious now because of the the uh, labor supply situation. And I do think you're getting businesses now talking about actually being willing to put up uh, either dollars or political capital to get this done. That is, uh, either on an individual basis, you see businesses talking about can't what can they do to help their employees find childcare? How can they help subsidize this? You see businesses, in some cases, setting up their own childcare uh, arrangements uh, or working with outside groups to to do this. And I think we need to encourage that, and we also need to think about how does that translate into maybe uh, some kind of uh, public program that can, um, you know, combine. Uh, some government funds along with uh, various private sector funds and getting this done. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And we, you know, we're, I think we're a little bit ahead of the curve, maybe on some of that here in Michigan, we've implemented what we call the tri-share pilot, right, right. which is an effort, an effort just like you described where the businesses are on the hook for a third, um, basically the state or the, the public sector is on a hook for the third. And then the parents are on a hook for the third of, uh, uh, on the hook for a third of the, the cost. Right. Um, I think it's a great program. I think we should really be pushing it and seeing if we can expand it and make it, uh, hopefully permanent and get the business investment in there. Yes. I mean, we, a couple of challenges from an advocacy standpoint with this is one, we're not seeing in some communities, we are seeing the business interest and the business take up. In others, we're not. And where we are seeing it um, is is almost public sector employers, right? Um, so school districts and others that are or county governments and others, uh, you know, it makes sense for we're not seeing as big of an uptick yet on the private sector side. 
and then also bringing to scale, you know, I mean, this is great if you happen to work for an employer that, that volunteers to, to, as long as the program is voluntary, it's, it's going to be a challenge from an advocacy standpoint um, for us to, to, continue to push forward. And so, yeah, I mean, ideally what we'd love to see is this work, the business community to really adopt it and engage. And then we figure out how to, uh, how to broaden it to make it more uh, universal in nature. Right. Well, I agree with that. And I think, you know, I think Ralph, you do have a significant segment of the business community. And the question is, how can you spread the word to other businesses that this is a potential solution that the, uh, that the benefits, again, Okay, I think it's fine to appeal to people on the, you know, on a simply a moral basis or anything to do, but you know, enlightened self-interest. I mean, in the end, a lot of businesses, uh, you know, are trying to uh, be profitable and increase their their income. And the the point is, this can actually pay off simply in uh, what it does to reduce employee turnover cost, which can be considerable. I mean, replacing an employee, I mean, the estimates are that it often averages. 20% of their annual salary uh, to, or annual, uh, whatever you pay, annual wages to replace an employee. That, that That's a huge cost. If you could cut, I mean, businesses need to think about this. If if by participating in something like TriShare, I can reduce my absenteeism by a certain percent. Exactly. Uh, maybe the program pays for itself, even in the short term, even if I don't account for the fact that well, you can take other things. You might attract employees. Who, exactly. Who is, once you account for all that, uh, you may find that this is really a no-brainer. You really should be moving right ahead with us. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a competitive nature of it. You know, of the of the job market right now is what led to a lot of the interest initially in this, right? And and I think a lot of the bigger employers in some of these communities were looking at establishing their own childcare. Uh, system or opportunities realized that that was more challenging than what they maybe had anticipated. And so this was a more attractive model uh, working with existing childcare providers in a tri-share type situation where they are still on the hook. And no, I, I think it's a great, uh, you know, it's a great pilot at this point. We're expanding it slowly um, now. And I think there's some real promise there. Um, and hopefully we can, we can continue to build that case from the business side so that we can more formalize this and make it universal moving yep. forward. All right. Well, Tim, anything else? Uh, I know we covered a lot here in a, in a relatively short time. Anything else uh, from your recent work that you want to highlight? Um, well, well I, well, I think the key thing, again, I, I just want to come back to the key point is that uh, we need to somehow change the mindset on this so that it's not simply viewed as the parent's problem. And we recognize that society as a whole has a collective interest in, in helping enable parents to participate in the labor force or, or go back to school or what, where, you know, all the things that high quality childcare preschool allows the parents to do. And that society also has interest in making sure all kids develop. And if people say, well, this wasn't the way things were done when I grew up. Well, the, the reality is we've learned a lot about child development and, uh, uh, we recognize that uh, a lot of things happen before kindergarten that strongly affect child development and that uh, many of them can be facilitated by preschool and child care centers where kids acquire a lot of social skills. Parents, we obviously want to involve parents fully in everything 
and we need good parenting in our society. We also need good childcare and preschool centers to provide some of these social skills, uh, you know, which are the so-called soft skills, which are so important in the economy. I mean, in, in today's society, a lot of whether an employee is productive is not simply their math and reading skills or whatever. It's it's how do they get along with their coworkers? How do they get along with customers? How do they get along with their supervisors? Can they work on a team? Can they be a leader? And a lot of those skills, you know, there's the old book. I can't remember who wrote it. You know, everything I need to know in life I learned in kindergarten. And I think the lesson that, you know, from uh, child development studies is that not everything I need to know. But a lot of the preparation for life happens before age five. Parents can do a lot, but a, a high quality child care and preschool can also do a lot. And we as a society need to invest in it. And yes, parents probably need to pay part of the cost, but society as a whole has legitimate reason that it should pay a substantial share of the cost. And that includes the business community. So we're all, you know, we need to have more philosophy. We're all in this together. Not that we all should just kind of, do our own thing. I mean, actually, I, th I think that's something desperate you can think in general that U.S. society could use more of a mentality of we're all in this together and less of a mentality. Let's just do our own thing. And who cares what happens to the next guy over in the community? We should be we should be thinking about more about how do we make our overall community better, which includes investing not just in my own kids, but helping everyone invest in kids throughout our society. Absolutely. This notion of the collective good, I think, is is something that we would all be better served if it was more more prominent in our thinking. And and my takeaway from today is, I mean, you're right, Tim, the collective good of, of doing the right thing and, and giving children an opportunity to start off in the right spot. But there's also real economic collective good uh, in investment in these programs as well, that uh, even beyond just the the, the moral obligations or the moral arguments for why we need to, to support our children. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, people always talk about what can you do in, to create a stronger business climate in your community? Uh, uh, you know, and sometimes that's just defined as low taxes, low regulation. Uh, and, you know, obviously regulations need to be reasonable. And, you know, obviously having astronomical tax rates is not good for business creation, job creation. But we also need, if you just think about it, what is one of the key factors that drives business investment? Whether they can get workers and what the quality of those workers are. So, uh, you know, it's absolutely essential to the future of Michigan and for that matter, the future of every community in Michigan that parents be able to go to work and that we develop the kids. And, and the thing to recognize, a lot of those kids will stick around. I mean, obviously, you know, if Michigan invests in kids, some kids will move to Ohio for some reason. I don't know why, but they might. Uh, and of course, Ohio investing kids, some kids move to Michigan. But the reality is, uh, you know, half of all Americans live within 30 miles of where they were born. And, you know, and, and so, and that, you know, a lot of people, so you, so you, a lot of people, they, they live near where they grew up. And so investing in, in Michigan's kids will mean a better Michigan workforce, not just today, but 20, 30, 40 years from now. And, uh, 
we need to recognize that. And there's very hard evidence of this from numerous studies. I mean, it's not just the Perry Preschool study that everyone cites, but, but many other studies, studies of Head Start, studies of uh, programs in North Carolina, Chicago, more recent studies of preschool in Boston, et cetera, that high quality programs really pay off. And uh, we, need to, we need to take account of that research and make these investments. And uh, you know, I guess I would also add for your listeners that people want more sources for some of this stuff, the, uh, you know, at, at the Upton Institute's webpage, we basically give away most of our content. So for example, uh, you know, you mentioned the book, Investing in Kids, and I have another book from Preschool to Prosperity. You can download both those books for free. And, uh, you know, they have all the references. So if you want to know, okay, Tim Burdick's been saying all this stuff, what research studies is this based on? If you're, if you're a policy wonk and likes to Look at all this stuff. Uh, all the sources are there. Uh, this speech I gave recently about the business case for preschool, you can find that at the Institute webpage. And I assume that when you post this podcast, you maybe could post some links to some of that stuff. So anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Tim. Well, we're going to have to leave it there for today. Tim, thanks so much for being with us and, and keep up the fight. And listeners, as Tim referenced, we'll have links to Tim's work on our podcast webpage. Um, under resources, under the tag resources, it's found at michiganschildren.org. Uh, thanks again for being here and please download the app for Speaking for Kids to catch other monthly conversations of interest to you and to Michigan's children, youth, and families. Thanks and have a good day. You've been listening to Speaking for Kids, the podcast for Michigan's children with host Matt Gillard. Thanks for joining us. To explore these and other issues relevant to our state's children, youth, and families, and to build your advocacy muscle, go to our website at www.michiganschildren.org. You'll find links and news about past and future podcast topics under our resource tab and action alerts under the Take Action tab. Find and like us on Facebook and Twitter. Terry Bannis and Stephen Wallace produced this podcast. Contact them with your questions and ideas for other topics. Michigan's Children is a nonprofit advocacy organization, an independent voice working to reduce disparities in child outcomes from cradle to career through policy change.